New on CuriosityStream, Darwin's theory of evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a 10-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. The last night was simply awful for me. The moonlight coming in through the window, which had neither curtains nor blinds, was just bright enough to add to my already persistent unease. I tried to cover it up with my blanket and pillow, but they simply wouldn't stay in place. Then I tried to sleep with my head resting on the other end of the bed. That actually helped for a little while but the knowledge of me being at the mercy of strangers and the shape-shifting monster standing outside staring voidly through the window kept me anxious and on high alert. Every creak of a floorboard, every gust of wind that hit the roof from outside made me jump. At first I tried to occupy myself by re-watching some cartoon episodes I had downloaded on my smartphone. Somehow things that are meant for kids always manage to soothe my nerves, Not this time, though. A few minutes after midnight, I started to sob into my pillow. Suddenly, I heard the door handle to my room being pushed down with a squeak. Leia? I shot up. Had I not pressed my hand in front of my mouth, I probably would have screamed. Shh, it's just me. I sighed in relief when I recognized the voice, to be that of Bridget. I listened as she quietly came over to me and lowered herself down onto the mattress. The moonlight shining in through the window illuminated her shiny red locks and pale face. She was smiling sympathetically. I didn't mean to startle you. I'm sorry, she whispered. God, I'm stupid. You must be losing your crap. I heard you crying, so I thought I'd come check on you. I wiped a tear from my eye and tried my best to smile back. That's... that's very nice of you. Thanks, I said, my voice hoarse and low. Bridget softly cleared her throat. I think... I think you should know something. I'm not supposed to say, but... Well, no one's keeping me from it. But it's hard for me to say since... Never mind. So what I've been meaning to tell you is that I... I'm on your side. What do you mean? If I'm being completely honest with you, I don't know if Betty and Rick won't try to use you as a bargaining chip. She sighed. See... What speaks in their favor is that they never needed to sacrifice someone important to them. During Rick's time as the manager, the only victim was Layla, and she wasn't too close to them. Still, if I remember correctly, that really brought them down. They didn't want to do that. What I'm saying is they never lost all that much, meaning that they're soft. They're definitely not willing to just hand anyone as if it's nothing at all. But still, they might. I don't know. Better to be on the safe side. I swallowed before muttering, And Dale, do you think he would? I'm not sure. I've never known him all that well. He's kind of hard to read, but I want to believe in him. Does the name Nathan ring any bells? Of course, the coachman. He was Dale's boyfriend, wasn't he? Why, you knew that? I was astonished. Bridget chuckled lightly. We're not that estranged. We did meet up a couple times. Right. 
I remembered Nathan telling me something along those lines as well. I was wondering, why did he just obey Warren when this was about Nathan? Sure, he would have risked more, but... Bridget interrupted me. Because the contract wouldn't allow it. Warren's behavior allowed Dale to use that loophole and get you out of there. This time he actually had the opportunity to resist without anyone getting hurt. All he did was take it. After a short pause, she added, At least, I hope so. But you are definitely on my side, I inquired. I see why that may seem odd to you. I admit, I don't know you. Dean and I always stayed away from the park's business affairs, but I have experience with the Fae. The wild ones aren't exactly like them. I know, but they're similar. I lost my sister to a fairy, and I refuse to sell anyone out to those creatures. Therefore, I want to make you an offer. I looked at her expectantly, and she leaned in closer. Everyone else, fast asleep. We are the two only ones awake right now, and we both know what's on the line. I can't see negotiations getting us anywhere. So what do you say we try and end it while we can? I don't really understand. Bridget smirked at me. Let's kill Warren together. I stared at her with wide eyes, at a total loss for words. But what about your kids? I stammered. Psh, don't you get it? Warren doesn't have the right to harm them. He violated the contract as well, remember? He only let on he wanted you. If he had wanted all the rules to stay in place, he should have told Dale. His loss. On top of that, he's been selfish. The Wild Ones promised they'd use the victims for the park's improvement. I don't see how what he's been doing helps that. Now that the contract's wearing thin, we should take our chance. Technically, you have the right to do whatever anyways, and I do think that I have, too. At least for now. Bridget reached out and squeezed my hand encouragingly. Come on, let's do this. We'll only have until sunrise. She stood up and gently pulled me to my feet. A quick glance outside the window told me that Warren had sat down in the grass, cross-legged, his hands and hat in his lap. His head had sunken down, and this time, he appeared to actually be resting. Even in this demure, calm position, there was something watchful about him, like a predator feigning dormancy, only to lunge at his prey the second it would dare to come close enough. I grabbed my revolver and put on my necklace, then quietly followed Bridget downstairs. We sat down at the kitchen table, and I laid down the revolver in front of me. First off, you don't happen to have iron bullets around for this thing, do you? Sadly not. They're hard to make. I guess we could try to melt a panhandle or something, but that would take a bit too long for tonight. Plus, we only have one chance. We need to get it right the first time, she explained. We can't allow ourselves any mistakes. That's actually super risky what we're doing here, isn't it? Bridget swallowed and lowered her gaze. I'm afraid so. Let's just not think about it too much. Sure, it's a risk, but one I'm willing to take. I mean, think about it. If Warren's gone, not only would you be out of danger, but this whole contract crap would be over too, meaning that my kids wouldn't have to do this awful job ever. I get that it was irresponsible to have children in the first place, but... But... Her voice trailed off and she fumbled for words. It's fine, I assured her, noticing that we had gone off topic. You don't have to explain yourself. She smiled. Okay then, how do we go about this? 
I say first off, we should make sure he's alone out there. Wait, you think Mulberry and Moth could be with him? I asked, taken aback. Possibly. Been worrying about that all night. Warren said he wouldn't come in, but that doesn't mean they couldn't, right? Well, damn. Are all the windows shut? You bet. At least we'll hear when someone breaks in. Back on topic. We know he dislikes laurel, red verbena, salt, iron, and silver and sage. Should help too, I think. Maybe we could somehow combine them, Bridget thought out loud. Yeah, but, like, how? I got my locket, but that's only for protection. It's not much of a weapon. Bridget perked up. I think I got something that'll do. Nowadays, knife blades aren't normally made of iron anymore, but I have this really old hunting knife, and I'm like, 90% sure it's made of iron. So we stab him with the knife, but at the same time feed him sage, salt, laurel, and red verbena? I asked skeptically. How is that supposed to work? Bridget sighed. All right, I have an idea, but you're not going to like it. About half an hour later, Bridget and I were standing in front of the back door, the redhead's one hand hovering above the doorknob, the other one firmly clutching the revolver. All right, so as soon as you go out there, I take position at the window. If anything goes wrong, I'll try to shoot him. That'll at least buy you some time to get back inside. Are you ready? I nodded, clenching my teeth trying to ignore the potpourri of flavors in my mouth. Okay, good luck. Ready, set, go, she whispered as she opened the door for me to step outside. The cool night air hit me like a splash of water. It felt strangely soothing on my burning cheeks. I slowly began approaching the cowboy, or rather Warren. He instantly seemed to awake and rose to his feet. I stood still as a statue waiting for him to say or do something. Anything. The silence drove me mad. What was I actually doing here? Who said he would even try it again? Shoving the leaves I was chewing on further into my hollow cheek, I took a deep breath. I could feel Bridget's hunting knife, which I had tucked away in my waistband, uncomfortably press itself against my back. Hello? I uttered, my voice ever so slightly muffled by the contents of my mouth. I knew you would come out eventually. His voice sounded like metal scraping on metal. I flinched slightly at its cold undertone. There was something incredibly sickening about it. I could hardly put my finger on it, but it almost made me feel nauseous, as nonsensical as that may sound. I don't want this to go on any longer. End it. Warren smiled dryly. If one could call that a smile... He waved me over and I reluctantly came closer. I shut my eyes, took a deep breath, and ignored the tears beginning to fill my eyes. I will not go into much detail regarding what happened then, but I believe you can guess by yourselves. Either way, the moment I had the opportunity to do so, I leaned in and pushed the bits of sage, laurel, red verbena, and salt into his open mouth. He let out a muffled growl and pulled back instantly, attempting to spit them out but I quickly pressed my hand over his mouth just long enough to grab the knife from my waistband. He was still standing close enough, so I reached behind his back and rammed it into his flesh with all my might, making him stumble against me. I let go of the knife, stepped aside, and shoved him to the ground. He landed flat on his stomach. Raising my foot, I stepped down on the knife's handle, causing the part of the blade that had not yet buried itself into his back to sink in completely. His body went limp. He was just lying there, 
still and unmoving. I couldn't believe it. I felt my lips stretch into a wide smile. Looking over to the window, I could make out Bridget's incredulous face. She stared out at me with wide eyes, then gave me thumbs up and rushed to the door. She came bounding over the lawn to my side. You did it, she uttered. Then happier, she added, Oh my God, you actually did it. I can't. I think she meant to say that she couldn't believe it, but she had no time to finish her sentence. Warren let out a low groan. It was quiet and sounded pathetic, but also very much alive. Bridget and I stared down at him. I can hardly describe what we saw. He slowly began to change. I noticed his vest slackening first. Its fabric sunk to the ground as if the body inside wasn't broad enough to fill it anymore. The next thing to change was his hair. It was paling, blanching, until all that was left of its former dark blonde color was a sickly, unnatural white. He slowly, ever so slowly, continued to push himself off the ground. Bridget and I instantly backed off, unable to take our eyes off the scene but both of us knowingly staggering into the rough direction of the back door. As he rose to his feet, I could hear his bones snapping. We watched as he threw his head back and bent his arms. We saw him grow taller and gaunter. His face seemed to stretch, his jaw cracking as if it were being broken. He opened his mouth to let out a low growl, and streams of black saliva came flooding out. And then he was suddenly complete. He was standing upright in the grass in front of us, glaring at us. His familiar clothing was hanging off of his sickingly lean frame, like oversized bags. He reached behind his back and pulled out the knife, quickly dropping it to the ground so as to avoid contact with the iron blade. Bridget grabbed me by the wrist and hurriedly dragged me inside. She threw the door shut behind us, and both of us ran to the window. He was still standing there, though. He wasn't moving just staring at us. My mind was racing. I remember grabbing Bridget by the shoulders and shaking her, whimpering something along the lines of, what the hell is that thing? Over and over again, until she gently, but firmly, removed my hands and squeezed them. That's him, she uttered. That's Warren. After that, I think I started to cry. Bridget hugged me and guided me up the stairs and into the bedroom repeatedly telling me it was going to be all right. Maybe this is a gift that comes with one's experience as a parent, but I actually believed her. Once I was in the relative safety of the bedroom, Bridget went about waking up the others. This was such a stupid idea. As of me writing this, the sun has already began to rise. I have watched Rick go outside to talk to that thing, and everything seemed to be normal. He didn't make any moves or anything. He just stood there and spoke to the former manager. A little while ago, Dale came up to my room. You do realize that was incredibly stupid? He inquired in a surprisingly gentle tone. I nodded into my pillow. I'm sorry, I whimpered. Hey, it's fine, I hope. Well, I get the idea. It's the good intention that counts. So my dad went outside. Warren told him he didn't blame him for that weird assassination attempt. They will still try to negotiate later. But there's one thing he's demanded. Dale paused. He wants to talk to you first. Alone. I shot up. No, no, please don't. Please don't leave me alone with him. Shh, 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 calm down. 
Here's how we'll do it. You two will be sitting in the kitchen and we'll be waiting right outside the door. I'm not sure what he wants to tell you, but whatever. We'll see. He patted me on the back and told me he would come to get me when it was time. I do not want to talk to him. I do not want to be anywhere near him. But I have to make up for my mistake. It could have gone much worse. The fact that he's still willing to take the peaceful approach has me hopeful. But I feel nauseous. The worst thing is that I have gotten even more of the black milk into me. My theory is that it accelerates the process of turning. Judging from how I'm feeling at the moment, it can't be long until I'm a walking corpse. I'm exaggerating, but I have to. Either that, or I'll start crying again.